Hello everyone, welcome back to Ask Dr. Paul, and today I'm going to be addressing a question that many viewers have been actually asking about. The question really is, what is pneumonia and why is it something to be avoided? You know, pneumonia has been in the news lately, and I think this is a very timely topic because of the change of seasons that we are going through in many parts of the world, including in the United States. And so let me just jump right into it and tell you a little bit about the basics of pneumonia. One of the things that I wanted to mention is that we do define pneumonia um, using kind of the Greek root word, which is pneumon, and that essentially means lung. And when we talk about pneumonia, we're really talking about inflammation of the lung. Sometimes you may have heard the word pneumonitis. That's another word that we use for inflammation of lung tissue, but it's really essentially a disease that's affecting primarily the lungs and, and that starts in the lungs. We know pneumonia can be caused by a variety of different things, including bacteria, viruses, fungi, and even inhaled chemicals can cause a pneumonia-like syndrome. We also know pneumonia is a worldwide phenomenon. It affects literally millions of people. It affects all ages, and it can be very, very serious, leading to hospitalizations. And many people have died, and many people die every year due to pneumonia. And this occurs especially in younger people, younger children, like under age five, and the elderly. Now, let's take a look at some of the symptoms of pneumonia, including the common ones that we all know and maybe have heard about, including cough. This can occur with or without mucus production, fever, chills, and even difficulty breathing. One of the things about cough and pneumonia, you may have heard this term productive cough. I heard it on the news on a TV report with a doctor talking on the news couple days ago. And one of the things that I wanted to point out is when we say a productive cough, we're talking about a cough where you're coughing up phlegm. In some instances, pneumonia can actually produce a dry cough, meaning you're not going to bring up any phlegm. There's no mucus. It's just a dry cough with no phlegm coming up. The other thing that distinguishes pneumonia from other illnesses is something that we all think about, and that's really the severity and length of symptoms. You know, one of the things with a common cold is typically it may last a few days to a week, maybe 10 days at most. Same with bronchitis. It's typically short-lived, but pneumonia can actually become progressive over a series of days and even weeks. That's why it's very important to make sure you talk with your doctor or go to the emergency department if you're having symptoms of pneumonia and especially if it's not getting better. Don't sit at home hoping that it's going to get better. Now, doctors have available in many clinics or in a hospital like the emergency department the ability to do chest x-rays. They can do blood tests to look for signs of pneumonia. And they can also test your sputum. So if you do have a productive cough where you're bringing up that phlegm or sputum, we can do a test in the laboratory that looks for the specific causes of pneumonia. These are key tools in diagnosing pneumonia and identifying the root cause so we can get you the best treatment. Now let me digress for a second because I want to especially talk about pneumonia in the elderly. You know, one of the things that we all think about in medicine is how we differentiate symptoms and signs of an illness between age groups. And one of the key things about pneumonia in the elderly is that it can look different. So you should know about this as well. So the first thing I want to point out is that common symptoms that I mentioned, so the cough with or without mucus, fever and chills, shortness of breath or rapid breathing can occur, and even chest pain when you take a deep breath. And it can also be chest pain when you're breathing or just coughing. 
And another fifth sign that's very common we see in elderly and younger people is fatigue. People feel just absolutely tired. They can't get out of bed. And that can be very, very serious as well because if you can't move, um, you're not going to be able to even get up and go to the doctor. Now, in the elderly, one of the things that we know is that we can look for several other signs and symptoms, and these are very important, especially if you have an elderly person at home or if you have a person that's living alone and they're older, like a neighbor or a friend, or even if they're a resident in an assisted living facility or other skilled nursing facility. So number one, you want to look for confusion or delirium. This is a very important difference between elderly person getting pneumonia and a younger person. The elderly person may not even have a cough or a fever, but they can become suddenly confused and even display very pronounced mental status changes, meaning they don't recognize you or they don't know what day it is. They may not even know where they are. Number two, a less pronounced fever. You know, in older people, we know that they can have a lower body temperature than usual or might not have any fever at all when they have pneumonia. In contrast to younger people who typically do get a fever and elevated body temperature. Number three, elderly people may have a less severe cough. The cough may be less pronounced or even absent completely in an older person because they don't have the ability, they don't have the strength in their muscles, in their chest wall to be able to cough. Number four, increased fatigue or weakness. When we get fatigue as younger people, uh, it's very different than an older person. The older person may get so fatigued to the point where they are completely bedridden. So if you see someone who's elderly, they're fatigued, they're not able to get out of bed, and maybe they don't have any other symptoms, you got to be on the watch for potential pneumonia. Number five, loss of appetite. When we talk about loss of appetite, they may feel like they're not able to eat, they're not hungry at all, or they may even feel nauseated with pneumonia. And that's not something that typically we think of, but it can occur with pneumonia. Number six, this is very important, falling. In the elderly, when people get pneumonia, one of the things that can happen is that because they're weak, they may be dizzy or even confused, they're more likely to fall. So that risk of falling is very dangerous. It's like double trouble. So if you have pneumonia, you have a lung process going on, and then on top of that, you fall and break a limb or a joint, it can be very serious and put people in the hospital for a very long time. Number seven, general deterioration. So rather than any specific sign or symptom, we're looking for people who have an overall sense that they're really not doing well. And if you see someone like this who's older, they may not even appear to be acting like themselves. If that's the case, if you see this, that's a cardinal sign. You need to get that person to a healthcare provider. They need to get examined and evaluated and making sure that they're on the mend or that they can be treated appropriately. Now, there are other things that I want you to think about when you think about pneumonia in the elderly. Number one, when we get older, we're certainly going to have a greater propensity to have other serious chronic conditions. So things like congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, sometimes we call that COPD, or diabetes, these all can influence how pneumonia presents in the older person and actually can make it more likely that someone gets pneumonia. That's one of the reasons why when we look at statistics around pneumonia, we also know that people who get serious pneumonia, go to the hospital, or even die, they often have these underlying medical conditions that I just mentioned. CHF, congestive heart failure, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, 
or even diabetes. Now, number two thing that can influence the symptoms of pneumonia in the elderly, I think always of the immune response in the elderly. And you know, as people age, their immune response is going to be less pronounced, less strong. And so when they do get pneumonia, they get infected with a bug that can cause pneumonia. They're not able to fight off that infection as well as a younger person. So the typical signs that we mentioned already, those are things you can look for in the elderly for sure, especially keeping in mind that their immune response is not going to be as vigorous as a younger person's. Number three, I mentioned the cognitive function. You know, it's so important because sometimes we have individuals who have Alzheimer's or other dementia, and they already are cognitively impaired. If they are not able to communicate well how they feel or what they're able to experience or what their symptoms are, then we need to be on the watch. We need to be on the lookout very vigorously to make sure that we watch for these signs and symptoms of pneumonia and jump on them very quickly because they're not going to tell you how they feel. Now, let's talk about a couple, a couple key aspects of pneumonia that I want to make sure you know about. Number one, the most common cause of pneumonia is a bacteria very often. It's called Streptococcus pneumoniae. This is a bacteria that is very common. It's everywhere in the world. It can affect older people. It can affect middle-aged people. It can affect younger people and young children especially. But keep in mind, not only pneumonia can be caused by bacteria, but we see viruses causing pneumonia also. One time I had a patient in the intensive care unit, an older woman who came in with a very, very vigorous pneumonia, very serious with influenza. Influenza can cause pneumonia just like Streptococcus pneumoniae or these other bacteria, and it can be very serious. And in fact, it was deadly in that case. The other thing I want you to know is that we can spread pneumonia from one person to another by airborne droplets. This can occur by just coughing or it can occur, occur by sneezing or touching contaminated surfaces that have these viruses or bacteria on them. We also can spread the pneumonia bacteria or viruses in our bloodstream. So if we're exposed, it goes to our nose or mouth, those bugs can eventually move from our mucosal surface into our bloodstream, and then it can move to other parts of our body, in particular also lower lungs or even other organ systems, okay? Keep in mind, there are many health consequences of pneumonia. This is why I'm talking about it today because certainly one of the things we know is that pneumonia can lead to serious hospitalization, especially if you're younger, like under age five or even older. But keep in mind, I want to remind everyone that when we have middle-aged adults, we cannot forget that people in middle age are at risk for pneumonia. The one concern, of course, that we have when people come into the hospital with pneumonia is how well they are oxygenating. How well is that air getting to the lungs? And then when the air gets to the lungs, how well is that oxygen getting into the lungs and the blood? So I'm going to talk about that in depth in just a second. But I also want to point out here that we do see long-term effects of pneumonia in people. It's one of the reasons why pneumonia is to be avoided at all costs. We know that even people who have recovered from pneumonia can have prolonged fatigue. Their lungs are healing. There's a lot of inflammation that's taking place. There can be scarring of the lung, which can damage the lung long-term, leading to a reduced oxygen-carrying capacity in the blood, and that can be very, very serious. So what does actually happen when someone gets pneumonia? So a good way to look at this is picture the healthy lung, your lung, as a dry sponge. And imagine that you have two big dry sponges. 
when you breathe, the air fills up into these tiny sacs. We call them alveoli. And in these sponges, much like water, the lungs fill up. Your lungs would fill up and pretend the air is water and fills up the pores of the actual sponge. When the air is brought into the lungs, this air then gets passed into your bloodstream. Specifically, the oxygen gets transferred from the air into your bloodstream via your lungs. That's why they're so important. Now, keep in mind, when pneumonia strikes, we have a situation where we're like pouring water onto the sponge. Just take a bucket of water, pour it onto the two sponges, and you can see that the sponge becomes very heavy, becomes wet, and it can't absorb as much air as it used to when it was dry. In fact, pneumonia is acting like water in the lungs. In fact, that water-like substance in the lungs is actually pus. It can be a mixture of cellular debris and microorganisms like the bacteria and the viruses that I mentioned. These invaders and the body response to fight them fills the air sacs in your lungs. When that happens, there's no way that you can get enough oxygen. It's one of the reasons why if you go into the hospital and you have pneumonia, they have to give you supplemental oxygen to overcome that deficit, that blockage in parts of your lungs where the active infection is taking place. Now, keep in mind, when you have this situation with a uh, wet sponge, you are really trying to breathe, and it's like trying to breathe with a soaked sponge where the water has filled up that sponge and you can't get air into it. Every breath becomes harder and harder and harder. If you or someone you know is experiencing this at home, do not wait. Do not expect that things are going to get better at home. You've got to get into a healthcare provider or the emergency department as soon as possible because the lungs will get damaged over time if, they are, if you don't get proper treatment. You will feel a cough if you have severe pneumonia. This happens as a natural response due to the infection and the inflammation that's set up. That cough is there and you're trying to expel the phlegm or the junk that's in those air sacs so you can actually get air into your lungs. Very often that can help, but it's not a panacea. In fact, some people who can't cough can't clear that phlegm and that's where people really start to go downhill very quickly. Now, with proper treatment, like antibiotics for bacterial pneumonia, the body will begin to heal. It is very important to get in early, get that treatment early because the doctors can diagnose it better and more accurately when you get in quicker rather than waiting and waiting and waiting at home or another location. You want to imagine getting that sponge dried out, getting that fluid, getting that debris, getting that inflammation out of your lung. Slowly, the lungs will begin to heal. In fact, it can take a long time, several days, in fact. And if you're in the intensive care unit, and you're on a breathing machine, we call that a ventilator, those ventilators are designed to support you as your lung heals and as you get that antibiotic treatment. But everyone progresses at a different rate. So keep in mind, you may not get as quick a healing as some other people, especially if you're older or younger or have underlying conditions that prevent quick healing. Now, there's several things that you can do to actually protect yourself. And I, I really like this area of prevention and knowledge that you need to have includes, number one, that there are vaccines to prevent pneumonia. The most common vaccine that you may have heard of that's been around a long time is the pneumococcal vaccine. We have two forms of these pneumococcal vaccines for adults. The more recent one is the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. Very potent, very powerful, and very safe vaccine. Very effective in preventing pneumococcal pneumonia due to several different types of the pneumococcal bacteria. 
I'll tell you much more about that in many, many podcasts coming forward. Number two, keep in mind that these vaccines are good and recommended for young children and older adults. But also keep in mind these vaccines are very appropriate for middle-aged people who have underlying medical conditions, including diabetes, heart disease, lung disease especially, and even inflammatory conditions or rheumatologic conditions. We'll talk about more. I want to also emphasize that there are really healthy habits that you can adopt every day to protect yourself against getting pneumonia. Number one, good regular hand washing. We want to do that hand washing for a good 20 seconds. This hand hygiene is critical because you can't see the bugs and the bacteria and the viruses on your hands, but they are everywhere. And you can pick them up from handling a phone, handling a countertop, picking up another object, or even shaking hands. So keep in mind, hand washing is very, very important. Number two, cough etiquette. If you have a cough, make sure you have a tissue or something you can cough into. If you don't have a tissue, use your elbow or your sleeve to cough into so you're not coughing onto people. This is true on an airplane, in a subway car, in a bus, but also just in a classroom or any environment where you're close to other people. Make sure you do that cough. It's the right thing to do. Cover that cough. Number three, avoid smoking. Making sure that you are on the track to get help if you are still smoking, make sure you make a plan starting today to quit smoking. That will really help and reduce your risk of severe pneumonia because one of the things we know is that smoking causes an inflammation in the lung tissue. It actually can inhibit your ability to gather that oxygen coming in from the air and transferring it into your blood. We know that the smoking damages that lining of your lungs where the oxygen is transferred. And when you do that, you're putting yourself really behind the eight ball when it comes to protecting yourself against severe pneumonia. Number, number four, which I include under avoiding smoking, is really to stop vaping. You know, vaping is kind of the new smoking. In fact, vaping can also damage the lungs. Quick story, there was a young gentleman a few years ago in, the, in Michigan, the Detroit area, who got very severe pneumonia because he was vaping. He was a high school student, actually. In fact, what happened is that not only did he get severe pneumonia, but he was taken to the intensive care unit and was given a double lung transplant. This gentleman was very, very lucky. Many people may not be a candidate for a lung transplant. And if you're vaping, you get severe pneumonia, and you get in the intensive care unit, all bets are off. There's no guarantee that you're going to recover from that pneumonia, so the risk of death is real and it's quite high. I also want to mention that when you are sick with pneumonia, you have these signs and symptoms, there can be help. So realize that there's treatment available. You need to know that these infections can be treated with antibiotics. Your doctor and the doctors in the emergency department and the hospital can test your blood. They can test your phlegm if you're coughing up phlegm and look for the bacteria or the viruses that are causing pneumonia and make sure that they give you appropriate treatment. In some cases, you may require a combination of two or three different antibiotics. Typically, though, we try to treat with one to begin with, and if all things move forward and look good, that's all you will need. The other thing to make sure that we know we have to do with pneumonia is provide supportive care. So supportive care means things like hydration, drinking fluids, resting, making sure that you take 
um, any over-the-counter medications that could help alleviate symptoms like cough. There are things like cough suppressants. Talk with your doctor about what medications are right for you, especially if you're on other medications that can interact with even over-the-counter drugs that could be treating symptoms of pneumonia. Now, in the hospital, if you come into emergency department, one of the things that doctors and nurses will do is check your oxygen level. They do that with something, a little machine you probably heard about during COVID-19 called the pulse oximeter. The pulse oximeter actually gives you a percentage of oxygen content in your blood. It does that by looking at the circulatory system on your fingertip. Sometimes people have the ability to measure that. Sometimes people who are very sick, we can't measure that with the fingertip. We have to do it other ways. But if you have a pulse ox or a pulse oximeter at home, you can check that at home. When you come into the emergency department or hospital, the doctors will also check that oxygen level. And if your oxygen level is low, they will provide you with supplemental oxygen. And don't refuse that if they recommend it because it will help you breathe better and make sure that you try to protect yourself from getting worse. Because if you do get worse, what will happen is that you'll have to go on to what we call mechanical ventilation or that breathing machine, and you have to have a breathing tube put down your throat, and that is not fun. We want to try to avoid that if we can. Now, there are some myths and misconceptions that I want to touch on with pneumonia that you should know about. Number one, you may have heard this uh, misconception that it's just a bad cold. Well, the truth is that a cold is a upper respiratory tract infection or illness. Pneumonia is a lower respiratory tract infection affecting your lungs and other airways leading up to your lungs. The difference is that a cold, you can typically have more uh, quicker recovery, number one. Number two, you can also have less severe symptoms. It's typically affecting the nose and the throat at times. But the pneumonia is affecting the lower airways, those air sacs I mentioned, and that can cause inflammation and lead to poor oxygenation, leading to difficulty breathing in the whole nine yards that I talked about. Keep in mind that typically a cold, you'll recover more quickly, maybe a week or so, but pneumonia can last longer and require that hospitalization and more advanced treatment. Second myth you may have heard about is that only the elderly get pneumonia. The fact is, is that younger people can get pneumonia. There's many cases of pneumonia occurring in not only in young children, but in adolescents and even middle-aged adults. You may have heard of cases of pneumonia occurring. Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, several years ago got pneumonia and passed away due to pneumonia. He was not an elderly person at the time. We know that the underlying conditions that put you at risk for pneumonia are important to know about. So smoking, people with weakened immune systems, uh, that could be HIV AIDS, it could be an inflammatory condition like lupus, it could be other rheumatologic conditions, diabetes, COPD, congestive heart failure, other heart disease, all these things can put you at risk. And it's not just the elderly who have those conditions. Third myth I want to address, once treated, it's gone for good. That is not necessarily true. It's actually a fact that some people can get repeated attacks or uh, episodes of pneumonia, and that can be especially true for people with underlying medical conditions like those I mentioned, diabetes, obesity, other things that can affect your ability to fight off an infection. We also know that people who have pneumonia episodes can have post-pneumonia symptoms, 
even after the infection is cleared, some people get lingering symptoms, particularly things like fatigue or shortness of breath. We have seen this not only with pneumonia due to bacteria, but we see it with pneumonia due to viruses. That's why vaccination and those healthy habits like hand washing I mentioned to you are important. They reduce the risk, but they're not going to guarantee that your immunity is going to stand up for all types of pneumonia. That's why it's so important we tackle pneumonia and preventing pneumonia kind of with an all-hands-on-deck approach, kind of an all-wellness approach. There are many, many stories I could tell you about, but one thing I want to make sure you do is recognize these symptoms and make sure that you don't dismiss the symptoms as just a cold. Very often I've heard episodes of people who get the symptoms, the early signs of pneumonia, they're waiting at home, they're lying in bed, and what happens is that people become so weak that they can't even get out of bed to get to the hospital. In that case, if you feel like that or you see someone like that and you can't get them out of bed, just call 911, get the paramedics there to get that person to the hospital. The other thing I wanted to point out is that pneumonia can affect everyone. Many occupations are at risk, particularly people who are around lots of other people can be at risk for pneumonia. And healthcare workers in particular who are around many patients, they are at risk for pneumonia as well. So that's why I mentioned these vaccines, influenza vaccine. I mentioned also the pneumococcal vaccines. Let me also point out COVID-19 vaccine, even RSV vaccines are available now. And these can be very, very powerful in preventing your risk of severe lung disease, particularly pneumonia. Okay, so let's look at several action steps. I got seven here for you today. Number one, I mentioned get vaccinated. If you fall into a high-risk category or you're in the right age group for the vaccine, then go get it. Don't even have to think about it. I recommend it. I know many people have hesitancy around vaccines. I understand that. I totally get it. But one of the things I can tell you is that if we can avoid pneumonia and prevent the severe disease, I guarantee you, you will not regret getting the vaccine. Number two, practice good hand hygiene. Good hygiene in general is fantastic. Soap and water, washing the hands for at least 20 seconds is a great thing, especially after coughing and sneezing. And avoid touching your mouth, avoid touching your eyes with your hands. That's also a good practice. Keep some hand sanitizer handy, at least 60% alcohol content. Keep that in your pocket or in your car or in your purse. Wherever you're walking, have that handy for you. Number three, maintain a healthy lifestyle. This is very challenging, I know, but we want to focus on eating that balanced diet, rich in the fruits and vegetables and whole grains, making sure that we get regular exercise to keep your body strong. This morning, I went to the gym. I swam for 3,000 yards, and that's going to help my lungs and protect my lungs in case I do get exposed to one of these nasty bacteria or viruses that cause pneumonia. Number three, get adequate sleep. Aim for seven to nine hours of sleep for most adults. That would be the target. I know it's very difficult, but do your best. Go to bed earlier if you can and check to make sure that you monitor your sleep patterns. Number four, absolutely avoid smoking. If you're still a smoker, you can talk with your doctor. Talk with your pharmacist too about getting medication, getting help and getting counseling that can help you get on a pathway to quit smoking. And absolutely avoid secondhand smoke if you can. Avoid vaping at all costs. Number five, watch the air quality around you. 
You can actually get alerts now on your phone regarding air quality. If it's poor, try to stay indoors. If you see that recommendation on TV or news or radio, listen to those recommendations. If you do have to go outside, consider wearing a mask. And if you're at home, if you can consider getting an air purifier that has the HEPA filter at home, that's especially important if you're living in an area that has higher levels of air pollution, realizing that there are different models available and that's something you can look into online and find one that fits your price point or cost or uh, financial situation. Number six, limit exposure during outbreaks. If you hear that there is transmission of flu or other bacteria or viruses causing pneumonia, avoid them. If you do have to go out, wear a mask in crowded places especially, and if you're out and about, limit contact with large groups where you see a lot of sick people. I know that's not easy, but it's something just to think about and put that in your list of things to watch out for. And number seven, educate yourself. Make sure you advocate with friends and family, making sure you share this knowledge around pneumonia because you can encourage your loved ones and other people who are high-risk groups, those people with underlying diseases that I mentioned, they can take those preventive steps now, especially now in this part of the early autumn or uh, coming into winter when they can actually protect themselves against pneumonia. So all this pneumonia talk may sound very intimidating, but I know when you're armed with this knowledge and right actions, we all can play a part in reducing its impact. We can take care of ourselves and we're not only safeguarding our own health, but we're contributing to an overall healthier community. Remember, every step counts. And whether you're getting vaccinated or washing your hands a bit more frequently or choosing to put that cigarette down, you're making a very positive change. So here's to clear lungs, robust health, and a future where pneumonia loses its grip on our world. Let's stay informed, stay proactive, and more importantly, stay healthy. Thanks.